Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Um, RJ, I don't know what the name of this podcast is going to be as we just started recording it already, and we'll, we usually tend to figure that out afterwards. Um, but right now I'm going for a real, like, you know, more of the same kind of vibe i don't know it, we, we were having a hard time f- trying to figure out what it is we're going to talk about because it feels like what's on track for today is just a lot of the same that's right i mean it feels like every podcast at this point is okay what's wrong with the kraken and what can they do about it some version of that and so it got me thinking and i went back and looked at just the various podcast titles so far that we've had this season i think it really paints the picture well so last week of course was an honest and frank conversation the alternate title this homestand will define the season so we see how that's going so far Mm -hmm. uh then previously what's wrong with the kraken the sequel (laughs) <laughs> then winter classic jerseys and a win streak. So that one is is probably the lone positive one there. Yeah. Uh, then followed by shoot the bleeping puck. Uh, then Maddie is good actually. And now that sounds like a positive title, but that was kind of more in response to Maddie Veneer's early struggles in yeah. that one. Then uh, trying to make sense of this. Mm-hmm. Then what's wrong with the Kraken? Uh, not the original. Well, technically part, yeah, the original part one, but we didn't know it was part one yet. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the Great War, I guess, before World War II happened. Yes. Um, <laughs> you want to use that analogy? But then two built for the playoffs. And then finally, bring on the regular season. <laughs> How about that, RJ? We've had two optimistic podcast titles and we're in mid-December. <laughs> You know, that's where we're at, Dylan. Ah! All right. So, uh, look, we are going to talk about everything. Obviously, the Kraken are right now in the middle of an eight-game losing streak. Uh, we'll, we'll get into more stats about that. You all know what's going on um, if you follow us. I will say this. We have some positive stuff to talk about, including Riker Evans. I'm going to put that in at the end. So for those that are brave enough to listen to the whole thing, we can all like leave hopefully on a good note. Um, that's, that's I think, where we're going to go. Uh, gotta st- we'll start, of course, with news and notes. But right before that, got to quiv the shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall. RJ, we are just days away from the opening of their second location. I know. I'm so excited to check out Moss Bay Hall. And also, I'm really excited for a great event that they have in the lead up to the Winter Classic. Uh, It is called Winter Hockey Hall. That will be December 30th that night. We are planning to be there, Dylan. Um, And it's at the new location at Moss Bay Hall. It's going to be a great event ahead of the Winter Classic, a fun celebration uh, of the really cool event. And I see you got the jersey behind you there, Mm -hmm. Dylan. I mean, we are both still super pumped for the Winter Classic coming up. Uh, But check out Winter Hockey Hall, December 30th. Um, you know, at the new Moss Bay Hall location. Yeah, and we'll have tons and tons of, you know, uh, social media reminders and stuff about that in the lead up. But definitely was excited to get that news out there. Can't wait to try the pizza, RJ. That's what I'm really looking forward to. Yep, Detroit style pizza. I know you have not been able to get that off your mind (laughs) since I mentioned it. I haven't. Um, All right, then uh, transitioning into news and notes. Unfortunately, RJ, not really many good news uh segments to talk about here uh, as, as all too often with this segment more injuries so i guess which one do you want to start with yeah i mean let's start with andre burakovsky i mean yeah this yeah. whole thing is going to be an injury report and the news is going to be pretty bleak so um andre burakovsky uh, this is the one that i feel the worst about because he returns from a you know long-term injury a six plus week injury uh, that he suffered six games into the season plays just a portion of one game back for the Kraken. And of course, in his first game back, takes a hit along the boards in a very similar area of the ice uh, to where he you know, slammed to the boards and had the initial injury that kept him out for so long. Uh, so he is back to week to week with an upper body injury. The team says it's not related to the original injury that he had. Uh, looked like a pretty similar area of his mm-hmm. body. So, you know, I don't know about that, but 
regardless, he's going to be miss some more time. He's back on injured reserve, and uh, you just got to feel for this guy because he can't catch a break. He can't. It's really unfortunate. I know so many of us have been so excited for this season for him just to be able to get back out there after the significant injury that ended his year last year. Uh, and it's just he has not been able to get going at all because he just it just keeps happening to him. Um, I was going to say, I guess technically, RJ, right? It's it is an injury to the same place because I think all we ever got originally was upper body. So <laughs> it's, yep. it's still upper body. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's re-injured his upper body. Um, but yeah, also, I mean, it's kind of puts it in perspective. But by the time he'll be able to come back from this, he'll have missed more time injured with the Kraken than he'll have actually played games. You're going back to last year? Yeah, it's Yeah, going it's back to yeah, his total tenure with the Kraken. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's just really unfortunate. And it's just it's one of those things that I mean, that's just like a luck thing. You know what I mean? Like it's just there's no way around it. It's just it sucks bottom line yeah it was a routine hit you know yep. it was it was nothing all that crazy you know so yeah. anyway that's andre burakovsky we can move on from that to another depressing injury story uh and that is uh philip grubauer who uh got hurt on a on a play a couple games ago he pushed off from one side to the other uh went from left to right and you know hurt his lower body i mean it sure looked like a groin injury to us it mm-hmm. looked kind of similar to the one that he had last season and you know he came up Limping was very slow to get up and did not return to the game. And he has been placed on injured reserve. So that means he's out at least seven days. Uh, that would be from yesterday. So, um, we, of course, the corresponding move, Chris Drieger has been called up for the AHL. Uh, feel good feel good for him, though, you know, getting to be back yep. in the NHL. And given the length that Grubauer is going to be out, he might even get a start, too. So, I mean, I guess that's, you know, the silver lining of this is, you know, good on Chris Drieger. He, of course, had injury issues, you know, quite a bit with the torn ACL, but he's worked his way back um, and is, you know, is back on the NHL roster. Yeah. And I mean, it's just ooh, the goalie injury is just piling up for the Kraken organization, RJ, because as it was, right, Chris Drieger getting called up after having to pull back to back duties in Coachella Valley. Like, it's just been a lot that this organization's had to deal with, unfortunately, this year, the, the, the string of bad luck. And for Philip Grubauer, he'd looked so good in that game, too, RJ, against the Lightning before the injury. Oh, he was playing. He was playing so well. Grubauer, I mean, he's really looked good all the season for him to have another injury injury like this after the one last year really really tough to see yeah i mean that that game he was so good he was the only reason the kraken were really in it at all uh, yeah you know, early in the game the kraken it took him a while to wake up they had a very bad first period grubauer held him in it it's not the first time he's done that this season and also you know if you look at kind of the off the ice stuff i mean he wore a really cool new mask for indigenous mm-hmm. people's night as well. And I think that is worth talking about. Um, and he kind of found a way around league rules uh, by intending to wear it more than one game, you know, making it a regular mask. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it just looks fantastic. I'm sure he'll wear it at some point once he comes back from injury. Um, yeah. But just an all around, like, you know, feel good night for Philip Grubauer until, you know, that's the way it's been going for the crack in this season. It all goes wrong. Yeah, it really has been. Uh, it just, it's it's all stuff like out of anybody's control too, which really at least that aspect of it, the injury issue has been out of anybody's control, and that's been really unfortunate to see. And with the mask, I went on record for that post game. I think that's the best Kraken mask we've seen so far, all the years combined. I I love that mask so much. It really they just did a fantastic job on it. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. I, I think it's a fantastic mask. It just looks great. I, I wouldn't mind him keeping it regularly. And, yep. and of course, debuted on Indigenous Peoples Night and, you know, maybe kind of uh, find a loophole around the league's rules, uh, you yeah. know, which I, we've seen other players, you know, with Marc-Andre Fleury wearing that in warmups. Grubauer gets it into a game, but he, he found a way to do it. Yep, exactly. So that was that was really cool to see. Um, and then, unfortunately, though, the injury train doesn't stop there. Yes, we have one more injury for you, and uh, that is Justin Schultz. So um, the Kraken defenseman got hit in the face by a puck uh, in the last game. Um, well, I guess two games yeah. ago in the in the Tampa Lightning game, got hit in the face by a puck late in the game, and uh, he did miss the following game last night. So against Minnesota, so he, we don't know how long he's out. Haxtell, of course, mentioned. He got hit in the face by a puck, asked whether he'd be available for the next night, said, I have no idea. And then uh, before the wild game said he would not be available. We don't have any more details on that. 
we know it's an upper body injury. We know it's a facial injury, um, yeah. but hopefully Schultz is okay. I haven't seen him. You know, sometimes you'll see players that are hurt just kind of walking around. I haven't seen him, so I don't know how bad his face looks, but I imagine it's certainly not good. Yeah, and again, it's, you know, it's unfortunate. It's another injury, somebody who dealt with injuries last season, dealing with them again this year, not something you want to see, similar to Berkey, similar to Gru. Um it's, it's just one of those, I guess the one silver lining is, you know, Riker had been called up already and, and has been playing okay. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about him later. He's been playing better than okay. So I guess there's, there is that element of it there um, with this latest injury. But yeah, I just, at some point it's got to stop, right? Like it's got to normalize. They're like my fantasy team right now, RJ. <laughs> just everybody <laughs> hurt forever. That's right. I think your fantasy team actually has it worse than the Kraken right now. Um, but still, it's it is rough for the Kraken. I think you are seeing, you know, the injury bug. It's it's random, right? Yep. And the Kraken were uncommonly healthy last season. And I think you are seeing that start to bounce back and, and hit them this year. I, I couldn't tell you why it, it happens that way, but it seems like that's what's happening. Right. And then the one thing and I, I'm just I'm going to say it because I know some people are starting to talk about it. The big concern with a lot of this, RJ, beyond just the fact that it's injuries, you, you know, you're concerned for the players and, and all that, it's the fact that this Winter Classic game is coming up, right? Like, we want the injuries to stop. We want these guys to be able to play in that game. Like, that's important to a lot of people. And we're getting to the point where, yeah, if you if you do become week to week or, you know, you get pl placed on IR, that starts becoming a question mark. And that's really unfortunate, too, because in addition to them having to miss games and not be able to, you know, play the game that they love and all that stuff, I would really hate for anybody to have to miss that game. Yeah, it's going to be a truly special experience and, and you know the players want to be out there for it. You know how much it means to players to play in a game like that. You only get, you know, maybe one or two chances in a whole career to play in an outdoor game like that. So, you know, the guys want to do it. Yep. Uh, let's go ahead and transition from that, RJ, into something else a little bit. And, you know, we talked about the Groovehour mask. I, I know I'm adding this onto the docket. It's not it's not there. We didn't talk about it yet, but the um, we did see the the goaltending pads that everybody has for the winter classic. And I think we should mention those and talk about that a little bit. Uh, Cause we already talked about Grubauer's mask uh, for indigenous people's night. I, I know let's talk about the masks for the winter classic. Yes, let's do that. Cause uh, on the same day that we saw the indigenous people's night mask from Grubauer, uh, he also was kind enough to show us his winter classic mask, which we all noticed immediately when he had it there in his stall, uh, you know, standing out among the other masks. Um, and uh, I mean, I like it. I think it's, you know, um, trying to pull up a picture yeah here, no, like, it, trying to get the details it has, on it it has go ahead it has good like vintage flair i like the fact that he you know he works in all the colors from the jersey the winter classic jersey that all looks really cool i mean the big thing is those like little holographic kraken logos i love right, those that like just catch the light and you only see it when they are catching the light otherwise th that section of the mask looks flat it looks matte but then you just you see that highlight and you just know for an outdoor game as he's turning his head and the sun would be hitting that it would just look beautiful it would shimmer it might look like kind of similar to fish scales is kind of what i imagine it kind of looking like or, or maybe a, a, a kraken in the water i don't know and um i i thought that was really cool because i don't think we've seen that before no, I don't think so. Maybe on one of Drieger's masks, I seem to remember he had like the smaller mm -hmm. logos like that, but I don't know if it had the same effect. Um, but but definitely, I think that was the coolest part of this mask. I also like running down the top of it, like, you know, along the forehead, you have the the Seattle letters, but they're not just neatly placed, you know, in, yeah. in, in an organized fashion. They're kind of, you know, they're like off center. They're kind of like with the Seattle S, you know, with the Metropolitans. And as you can see behind you in the YouTube version of this podcast, the Kraken letters on that jersey. Yeah behind you uh you know they're a little bit they're kind of off center they look a little silly there but it like it goes with the whole effect of everything so i, I do like uh you know the choices there yeah no me too it, it looks really good um uh, and then we saw joey decord's mask rj which for a specialty game i don't know that you could ever do better than this to be perfectly honest right incorporating the city incorporating the venue of the game as he has you know a mariner's baseball card mask I, it's perfect for a game like this. It is absolutely perfect. And yeah, I, I 
yeah, I don't want to proclaim a winner and a loser, but I think Joey's mask is certainly my favorite of the two, just because he's really gone kind of above and beyond uh, with the Mariners connection. Cause I mean, that's what one of the things that's so special about this game. He's got the old baseball cards on there. He's mm-hmm. got Ken Griffey jr. He's got Ichiro. He's got, you know, newer players like Cal Raleigh, um, you know, oh, JP yeah. Crawford. He's got current Mariners on there as well. Um, it, it's just an awesome mask. I love the design shifty does it again. Um, yeah. You know, his mask artist shifty is just awesome. Always brings good stuff. Um, and, and then on the top, you've got like the, the mountains, you've got some trees, you've got mm-hmm. some nice landscape stuff on the top. It's it's great. Yeah, no, I love that. You know, one side is like the past Mariners and then the other side is current Mariners. And if you look up towards the top, he even has like the old school Mariners, like Trident logo and then the current, you know, S logo um, with the, on the side of the current ones. Like it, it, there's just a lot of details. The more you look at the mask, the more you pick up. I absolutely love it. I also love RJ. The the actual cage part is mm-hmm. painted, and it has like yes. a pattern to it. That's something that again I don't really remember seeing before. No, I, I haven't noticed that. Certainly not any kind of kraken mask. And I think the whole thing is given a bit of a worn look to it. If you look mm-hmm. at the the very front by the chin, it looks like it has the effect of some of the paint kind of being scraped off a little bit, as though yep. it had already been used. And you see, you know, the blue on the cage, and it all kind of gives it that, you know, that lightly used feel as well. Yeah. So that that one was fantastic to see. And then we saw the pad setups for everybody as well. Um, uh, you know, those all look great. Obviously, kind of going back with the leather look a lot is, is what it seems like to me. And I, I'm, you know, I'm a sucker for that, RJ. It gets me every year when, when goaltenders do that for these games. Yeah, and I think it also works well with the the color scheme of the jersey where you kind of have that yeah. off-white on it and you really are going for that that vintage feel. Like, I don't know how well it would work maybe for, well, I guess Vegas kind of has the, not the gold, but like the brown or whatever. So I don't think it always works, but I think in this case it does. You have Joey Decord going with basically his same pad design as, as he already has right now, but replacing um, the uh, the white with kind of that, that brown, you know, that vintage brown. And then yeah. Philip Grubauer uh, going with a slightly more different look where he has um you know mostly i like how he's gone with the two-tone like brown and then also kind of that lighter like beige on the outside Uh i think that creates a really nice effect and the ice blue the little stripe of ice blue on the pads i think goes really well with the overall colors of everything in a way i wouldn't have expected if i hadn't looked at it right no i i think that is something that looks really, really solid. Like I'm, I'm with you. It's not something that I probably would have thought of. Granted, I'm not like, you know, somebody who does this, but it just, they look like really good, solid old school pads. Like just, yeah. but for the Kraken, like, I don't know. I just love it. I love, I just hope we lot. get to see it all come together. I know. That's, I know. that's my worry is I just, I want to see that all out there on the ice. So yeah. get, get well soon, grew. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and then, oh, wait, we saw some for Drieger too, right? Did we? Did, am I, I wrong? So. No, I guess not. No, those must have been Joey's then. Yeah. Joey's, I, I don't know. I, I prefer the vintage styling of Gru's over Joey's mm-hmm. pads personally. Yeah, I do too. No, I, I like the pads for, for Gru over Joey, but then I like Joey's mask better. So yeah. I guess it evens out. I guess I hope we don't see any winter classic stuff for Drieger because just yeah, what that, that would, would mean for Grubauer. Yeah, I guess w- that would be one of those early indication things to, to be looking for. Um, all right. So from there, RJ, into the, the, the facts of the matter, what, what the Kraken are dealing with right now. Um, look, they're in the middle of an eight game skid. They've got two points over the last eight games from two overtime losses. In their last five games, RJ, they've been shut out twice. They've only managed to score six goals. They've allowed 15 in the last five games. Not a very good uh, goal differential there. It just feels like every week we're just trying to talk about it, and it's just like, what's going wrong? What can they do to fix this? How can they get out of it? We are now halfway through that homestand, RJ, that we were talking about as, you know, their season-defying moment. They needed to come in, and they needed to perform well on this homestand, and they they haven't. And the latest one was a, another shutout loss in a pretty miserable, boring game to watch against the Minnesota Wild. It was a very low event. Kraken, I felt like it was their best focus and effort game that they've had, but at the same time, they never look dangerous. 
Right. It, it was certainly kind of a boring game to watch. I, I think everyone got that impression from it. And you're right. They, they hung in there. They brought focus through the whole game. And this one might even be kind of the most, you know, disheartening if you're looking for reasons to turn things around, just because, you know, they really didn't make the kind of characteristic mistakes or have the characteristic bad starts that they've had. They just looked like the team that came up on the wrong side of the skill divide, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, one team was able to kind of manufacture a goal or two, and the other team wasn't. And, um, you know, especially when you saw those power play chances that they kept going to the same play, that cross-crease pass, mm-hmm. that clearly they had identified something in the pre-scout. They had, they had told the players, this is what we're going to do. And you know, they just couldn't get a bounce on those. No, and then they just kind of kept going back to the well. And that's part of a larger conversation that we were kind of starting to have on post game. And I think, you know, can we can better flesh it all out here um, than on a post game where we have to get through all the different topics. And that's, you know, something that's been talked about at various points. You and I have used it to point to things um, that the Kraken are doing well. A lot of people have used, uh, been able to point to analytics as a reason to say, look, the Kraken are performing well. But one of the things that I have noticed, RJ, when it comes to like the publicly available analytics model, mainly money puck, because that's the most used one, I feel a lot of it just comes down to when you're talking about expected goals, just how close to the net are you? All the shot attempts taken closer to the net, just worth more than ones taken from further away without any of the context around it. I know we've kind of talked about the the deficiencies that sometimes expected goal models can have. And, you know, I just want to say from the beginning, as we get into this discussion, teams have their own proprietary models, have access to far more information uh, from the NHL than any of us have publicly, right? Like the, the teams, their models absolutely take more into account than what the publicly available ones are. Certainly what Money Puck does, their models are not that simple. Um, I, I think that there is total value in having analytics. There is a reason why so many NHL teams, including the Kraken, invest heavily into it. Um, and then also for the people who are just like, look, expected goals don't really mean anything. You need the result. Agreed. The result is what matters at the end of the day but again it's one of those things that um when you look at analytics and you look at certainly the team-based ones right you're talking about sample size wise they are a good indicator of which teams are good which teams are playing poorly all of that kind of stuff it's just that the kraken are kind of an outlier at the moment and it's making it not look as great That's right. I mean, the Kraken are still at the bottom of that list as far as, you know, goals, goal differential above expected. And so it's something that people definitely, you know, put a lot of attention into. And I think, you know, that's that's via Money Puck, right? That was yes, that list yes. that. Yeah, but that so, might have been Jay Fresh, yeah. actually. Or was it Jay Fresh? I'm, I'm going to pull it up real quick. But yeah, it, I mean, either way, it's it's one of those things where, again, like I said, we know the NHL has pluck and puck and player tracking. Right that that is not publicly available, right? There's lots of other things that when you are investing and you have the resources to do it, you can go in and you can have things where you can put things into proper context that you're not able to on, say, a money puck when it comes to what were the what was actually going on on the ice when this shot attempt was taken rather than just kind of, well, how close to the goaltender was it? Right. And different models take different things into account as well. Um, I think like the money puck model uses... Um, time between shots like for say rebound shots or something is like kind of a proxy for you know how well the goalie can get repositioned yeah. but there's other ways to do that as well and, and you know there's there's some healthy debate among very smart people about what what elements matter and what elements don't and which you should have in a model um but yeah it is from jay fresh data via top down hockey yeah um has the crack in it at last in the league and goal differential above expected yeah, so uh, I just want to put that out there. Like the analytics, they are useful. All that kind of stuff is good. Vast majority of the time, this the the goal expected numbers and expected goals, all that kind of stuff will give you an idea of which teams are performing better and how well the team is performing or an individual player and all that kind of stuff. But it it is not the end all be all, right? There are instances where you have a team like the Kraken where the 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 standings don't line up with how well they're playing. I mean, you know, you look at Money Puck, you have the Yanni Gord line up in the top ten for for just forward lines. RJ Maddie Beneers line at eleventh, so cracking two of the top eleven lines in hockey when it comes to expected goals percentage. Like that's a you know a great thing to look at. But at the same time, we know 
lines are struggling to score, right? Like it, it hasn't translated, but I wanted to at least like talk about that and get that out there because I do know there's a lot of people that are like, look, expected goals, that's great and all, but like we need them to be scored. And that's true. Like I'm not trying to discount that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So when it comes to the rest of things, RJ, first off, I've this past week, I've been thinking about things. I've had conversations with you. We've talked about it on post games. I am starting to think that the Kraken need to change their system. And we, we, we've defended Hackstall a lot. I would still defend him. I still don't think a lot of these problems are his fault. Um, but I do think that it is time for the Kraken to maybe start adjusting what their system is a little bit more in regards to look they are trying to get in close they are trying to generate those higher quality chances and i just don't know that it fits with some of the personnel that they have mainly maddie Beniers and alexander wenberg and so my question to you rj is look those are players that tend to do better maybe more from a perimeter with the ability to move around more freely in the offensive zone right rather than playing in the slot which is more so where the system is pushing them do you think the Kraken are in need of a change of system or is this just me looking for a, something here as they're in this no, skid? I, I think you have won me over on that, that, that maybe you do need a change of system. And, and what really convinced me was watching that Kraken Devils game. Good effort by the Kraken, a, a very close hockey game. But watching the other side of the ice, watching what the Devils were doing and the way that they were playing, uh, where they had their one-two center punch of Jack Hughes uh -huh. and Nico Heischer. And watching what Jack Hughes was able to do in the offensive zone and the way he was allowed to operate, he was given a lot of time and space and, and kind of worked through the outside and was really able to unlock that creativity, use his vision uh, to make plays. And, and, you know, Hughes isn't the biggest player, certainly, you know, he could kind of get pushed off the puck if he tries to go net front. That's not really his game, yeah. but he is incredibly skilled and he's a very smart player. And I think, you know, that's ultimately the kind of player, you know, maybe not up to Hughes level because I mean, you know, Jack Hughes is a hell of yeah. a player, but that Matty Beniers could be that mm -hmm. style of play. I think he could benefit from and watching the huge difference on the ice of the way that one team is attacking versus the way the other team is attacking with a similar player. I just find, found myself wishing like, man, put Matty Beniers in some of those spots that Jack Hughes was in and give him the opportunity to make those plays with some extra time and space there. Let him work around the perimeter and, and use that vision that he has. That's so special. And then also when you have Nico, he's out on the ice you know, kind of using him as more of a, you know, for defensively minded center, you know, more of a distributor there and having his wingers do a lot of that work down low for him instead of asking everyone to just clump up right at the net and try and get those rebounds. I thought, well, that's, that's the kind of game that Alex Wenberg likes to play. Mm -hmm. You know, he could be, you know, very, again, a poor man's Nico. He sure. I think he sure is, you know, the much better player, but I just found myself looking at the devils and the way they played and thinking, that would be a better stylistic fit for the personnel that the Kraken have. And I understand the temptation to want to try and manufacture goals by throwing as many pucks at the net as you can into those high danger areas and just trying to kind of whack home those rebounds, get tips, get screens, things like that. And that's often a way to get around when you have goal scoring difficulties because those can be some of the ones that take the goalie out of the play. You know, mm -hmm. if you get a really good screen on a on a play, look at the you know the Bjorkstrand goal the other night. Um, is that still the recent most recent goal the Kraken have scored? But you look at like the <laughs> Bjorkstrand goal the other night, and you have Yanni Gord just doing a nice flyby screen on Andre Vasilevsky, one of the best goalies in the world, and he just you know can't quite see it, and you have a shot from mm -hmm. you know an area that's maybe not too dangerous, and boom, it goes in because the goalie can't track it. Um, you know, there are ways to get around it, but I think the personnel the Kraken have that other teams like that play the style that they're playing do have right is these big guys who can out muscle guys in front of the net who can make those rebounds work because you can establish body position you can be dominant net front the kraken don't have anybody like that the mm -hmm. one guy you could make an argument for is Jaden schwartz and he's not in the lineup he's going to be missing for another little while and even then he's only you know 5'10 i think you know he's not a big guy he's just really strong and he goes to the net but 
I just think the personnel isn't the right fit. So I know I've talked for a long no, time here, Dylan, but like, you know, I, I know you feel a similar way. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and tell me, I guess, how you prefer them to play too. Cause I mentioned just, Oh, play like the devils, but I know you're a better X's and O's guy. Like explain exactly what, what that means. Right. I mean, there's, there's, I guess there's a couple things in here. I would say like Ty Cartier could be net front, right? Just, he's not again, tall, but he's very strong. Uh, so there mm -hmm. is that, there is that element to it. Um, I, I was but just you need a say, level of the, skill there too. You do. You like do. you need a level of high end right, skill. Right. Um and I was gonna say I think the last goal was actually the Jared McCann goal, but it was again still a, a a kind of one of those plays where it's a shot from out wide, but Vasilevsky can't track it the whole way. Um I think that what's weird about this whole situation is RJ the system that the Kraken are playing right now, tell me it wouldn't be the textbook most perfect thing for Shane Wright to walk into. Because this is the way Shane Wright plays, right? He's a big body guy. He's a strong guy. He likes to play down the middle as a center and generate all his scoring chances from there, walking in on a goaltender, being there for rebounds, being there to receive a pass from behind the net, right? Like that is perfectly built for how Shane Wright likes to be aggressive and attack in the offensive zone. He's just not on the team right now, unfortunately. Uh, with When it comes to, say, the what system they should be running, I will always point to, with Maddie specifically, if you watch the tape from him from Michigan, you go back and watch any of his highlight videos or, like, my old scouting reports on him, you'll see this. If you go back and you watch the very first point he ever got in the NHL against Calgary in Calgary. It was on the goal from Ryan Donato, but it was a play that Maddie 100% manufactured. And it was another instance of he gets the puck, he, he goes around the zone from the perimeter, he sees everything, and then he sees that he can make a complete cross-zone diagonal pass to Ryan Donato, who is open, he sees the lane, he hits him, Donato buries it, boom, you have a goal, right? Matty Beneers is the kind of guy, when he is a playmaker, when he's going to produce points, that needs to have that ability to move around with the puck, right? Have the freedom to move around with the puck see what the defense is doing, and then he is going to exploit whatever weaknesses that the defense has. It requires a little bit more of a patient style of play from the team. It's one of those things where you have to have player movement involved because Matty Beneers is going to be walking around. You need the other guys to know how they have to cycle in regard to what he's doing because you don't want him to walk to where, say, Eberly is and Eberly just continues to stand there, right? Then there's not really going to be a play for Matty to make. So it requires more of a free-flowing style of offense, slow the game down a little bit. It kind of goes against the more dump and chase, you know, get it into the corner and then just throw it net front for the rest of the guys streaking into the zone approach that they've been going with. It would require either controlled entries or get in the offensive zone. You can still dump it in the offensive zone, but then instead of throwing it net front, throw it back to the point, right? Give it to a defenseman, let everybody get into the offensive zone, then give the puck to Matty Beneers and let him do his magic. And I think that would be something that I would like to see from them. And to be perfectly honest, RJ, that could help the defense a lot too, because you're playing a much more controlled style of game. The defense, you're right, you don't have to worry about, say, if the pass goes bad to net front or, okay, the rebound shoots out, but the defense was able to collect it really quick. Now they can push the puck up and break out of their zone very fast and the Kraken aren't necessarily ready for for it in this sort of system if Matty Beneers is walking around the offensive zone with the puck you're a defenseman already right if Matty Beneers goes to make a play and there's a turnover which will happen from time to time that's just how it goes the defense they're very much set up at the blue line they can adjust to that you'll always have two defenders back which is something the Kraken have struggled with this year I just think taking a more patient uh, style of approach to the offense would do wonders. I think it would really help out Matty Beneers because his confidence looks really shaken right now. He's playing a system that he doesn't look fully comfortable in and he's just not producing. And those are things that, you know, young players struggle with and it's natural for him to be struggling with. But I, I really think that's the solution is, you know, I don't know. Maybe would you call that old school RJ to kind of go kind of more patient on the, in the offensive zone? Feels a little older school. I guess so. I mean, you know, with with the emphasis on controlled entries, and it also highlights just how different it is from what they're running right now. Yeah. If you've watched the last few Kraken games, you know, where you know what the strategy is. Um, but I, I I guess so. I tend to think of like old school, you know, just you go in, you dump it in, you chase, you bang bodies. But, I, you know, that that's not necessarily like the that's case, true. you know. It, yeah. 
you know, if you go back, it depends how far back you want to go, really. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to the, in the 80s or something, there, I feel like there are a lot of controlled entries. <laughs> yes. You know, and but you had some of the most skilled players, you know, find success that way. I'm telling you, nobody loves the button hook like Matty Beneers. Yeah. You know, have him come into the zone, just button hook, go back up to the point, get his head up and see what there is. I mean, mm -hmm. the other thing I'd like to see, too, if you want to keep the same style of, of zone entry, as you mentioned, you know, have the puck, work it back to the point, but then also have Matty Beneers, have the center just come back up toward the point and have yeah. a third guy up high. You see teams do that all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You could have the winger dump it in, go after it and chase it, and then Matty Beneers goes to the half boards on whatever side of the ice that is, right? Like that's, and then he's there to, to have the puck come back to him. Like you could, you can easily do that kind of stuff. Um, Sidney Crosby is, I guess, the name that's coming to mind for me as far as the more a more patient guy who just kind of goes to where he needs to be. I know, obviously, this is a big comparison to be making, but if you look throughout the years with what Crosby's done in Pittsburgh, RJ, I think you see something similar to that, where it is, a, you know, look, get the puck in your best player's hands or on his stick and and let him work right let him take his time and do what he needs to do and and a lot of times it ends in success yeah and i mean question for you dylan do you think there's enough skill at this point because we're not talking about the kraken team on paper we're talking about who they have right now that they can actually put on the ice because that kind of thing does require that you have enough skill around a player like maddie Beneers that can kind of make that work do you think because i I look, if you're playing devil's advocate here and you're looking at it from the yeah. other side, you might, Haxtell would never say this publicly, no coach would, but you could say, look, with the injuries we have, we don't have enough skill to play that kind of game. We have to go in there and try and grind it out and just get pucks to the net and hope one goes for us. Do you think that you have the necessary skill to put around a guy like that right I, now? Yeah, I mean, I would argue against that. Like, you got six goals in your last five games. It's not working either. What do you have to lose from an offensive standpoint? But I would be with you. <laughs> right. But I would also argue that it doesn't actually require more skill. It requires chemistry, right? We saw this. Matty Beneers played arguably his best NHL hockey with Ryan Donato, right? Ryan Donato's got some skill. Nobody would say he's the most skilled guy on any team he's on, right? Like it worked because Ryan Donato understood again, going back to that first ever assist for Matty Beneers, he understood where Matty was on the ice, where he could go to create a passing lane for himself that Matty could get him the puck and where he would have then the, also the time and space to get a good shot off, right? You need players rather than that are skilled. You need smart players who can work around Matty Beneers. I mentioned Sidney Crosby. How many years did he play with Pascal Dupuis and Chris Kunitz on his wings, RJ? They were not the most skilled guys in the world, right? I don't think they would say that they were, but it worked as a line because they understood what Crosby was doing and they got themselves open knowing how he played because they all had chemistry with each other. And so I think more so than it being a skill issue, it's just a matter of finding the wingers that Maddie has confidence in and finding the wingers that have chemistry with Matty Beneers so that they know, hey, look, when he button hooks on the right side, this is where he likes to go, right? When he button hooks on the left side, I have to do this instead. That's the kind of thing that I feel like you need rather than just say, look, stick a Willie Nylander on his wing, right? And, and everything will be fine. That works for everybody. But I think when you are going with a, a player who's going to, you know, more so play a cerebral game, you just need smart players around them rather than the skilled ones because they'll put themselves in positions where you don't have to be a skilled guy to put it in the, you know, yawning cage that you're going to have because the goaltender is so out of position. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. And like, do you have any line mates? I mean, you've had a little bit of time to think about any line mates that you'd like to see specifically tried because they've gone with Karchi and Eberle for a while. And if you want to talk yes. chemistry, you know, they, those are the guys that he probably has the most time with, certainly Jordan Eberle. And then, of course, he's yeah. got that experience with Karchi where it feels like it always works out. Um, but is, is there anyone else you'd like to see them try? Or do you think just it should be a different system there with those three? I think it could probably be a different system with those three. The one person that I feel like consistently Maddie's been able to be creative with, and this is especially if you go back and look at the playoff run last year, it's it was Ty Cartier, right? Like they seem to have something where they think along the same lines, 
right? They think in the same way as they enter the offensive zone. One of them always seems to be where the other one would want someone to be. So I think I would explore it with Ty Cartier. I think Jordan Eberle is a really smart player. I'm sure if you freed him up to move around in the offensive zone more, he could. Because to be perfectly honest, RJ, I don't know that dump and chase really suits him as a winger anyway. Like, I think you're probably helping him out too. Um, so I, I, I would, I think you could get by with just that, but otherwise, I mean, you know, you just look at like the, the more cerebral players on the roster, right? The guys that, that, that do it based off of their smarts rather than their skill. And I think Oliver Bjorkstrand first and foremost, right? We've seen him play North South. We've seen him play East West. We've seen him have production this year on three different lines. I thought he was good. The brief time that we saw him playing with Maddie Beneers earlier in the season. So I would probably try a Ty Cartier, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Maddie Beneers line personally. Yeah. I mean, I certainly wouldn't mind moving Bjorkstrand there for that line. I mean, I think just the real hesitation is just breaking up that incredible line of Tolvin and Gord Bjorkstrand that is just doing so much work yes. for you. Yeah. I mean, that's the tough part with the injuries, right? Is that, you know, you, you want right. to bring somebody up to kind of fill in and yet, you know, it creates a hole somewhere else. Cause we know, you know, really that if, if you don't pay attention to minutes played, I think still the best line the Kraken have had this year was Tolvin and Gord Burakovsky. Like they only Mm -hmm. had like nine minutes together, but they absolutely dominated while they were together. And so that's still something that I just have in the back of my mind. The problem is Berkey's been just continuously out of the lineup, unfortunately. But yeah, Yeah. all in all, it's one of those things where I feel like, and this is the one thing that, that I do feel like is the most within Hackstall's control, RJ, as we broaden it back out to maybe the coaching picture, would be to change up the systems. And I understand that it's really hard to do that, especially when we're talking about a massive change the way we're talking about right now it's extremely difficult to do that mid-season like very very hard to to just change everything that you're asking your team to do mid-season it's something that you would have to slowly start implementing but I do feel like that is something that is within his purview it is something he has control over and it is something that I would like to see yeah, and it's tough, especially with with the grind of a schedule that they're having right now, too. You have limited practice time. Um, and also, just even if you decide to make that kind of wholesale change, it's going to take a while to fully implement and make sure yeah. that it's down the way you want it. And, you know, it's another question we you know haven't really touched on a ton. But, like, if you're Hackstall, do you know that you have that much time? Yeah, I like guess. At a certain point, you, need, you know, if you keep if, – if it's going to take maybe – four or five more games or potentially four or five more losses to fully implement that, you know, is that a gamble you're willing to take? Right. I mean, and that is part of this, right? Like, is this something that could save the season? Maybe, but like realistically, no, just because it's going to take time. And I don't know that the Kraken have time. I guess the only person who really knows the answer to that would be Hackstall. Right. Like it would be it would be him. It would be Laiwiki. It would be Ron Francis. Right. The people in charge of making said decision and communicating where Hackstall's standing is to Hackstall are the only people that would actually know the answer to that. If if you if you're Hackstall and you have been assured you have the rest of the year, I understand still being like, look. I got to turn this around and quick and doing a wholesale change of the offensive system isn't going to be quick and it'll still be ugly in the meantime. And maybe that puts us just too far back to make something happen. So I totally understand taking this approach. If it's one of those where the team has just been like, look, we've been besieged by injuries. We're kind of riding the season off. We understand the spot you're in. Don't worry about this year. Don't worry about next year. Right. Then, you might as well just get a jump on it now, right? Start working towards something like that. Start finding the players that have chemistry with Matty Beniers. Start working on those things. Go ahead and keep this system for a second line if you're going to, say, be a seller at the deadline and be able to call up a Shane Wright. It, it's, it's one of those things that I understand why Hackstall wouldn't change if he doesn't have long-term assurances, right? I 1,000% understand that. I probably wouldn't either. Um but if he does have those long-term assurances, then I would say, you know, it's probably worth going ahead and doing. Because right now, you have nothing to lose, the, right? Like, you're already just, you can't win anyway. You might as well do something. Right. I mean, you're just kind of hitting your head against the wall again and again and, and hoping that it breaks. And, and so far, it hasn't. Um, and, and that's that's getting to be a problem. Yes. But, uh, yeah, I think that that all comes with the, the change in mindset, the shift that 
you know, certainly won't happen yet. But if you decide that, okay, this is a development season, this right. is a transitional season, this is about getting better for next year, then that's it, it, that change comes with that decision and then everything that comes with it, like a calling up Shane Wright, really, you know, potentially moving on from some veterans, giving the guys who you know you're going to build around more ice time. And I don't think we're there yet. At this point, they're just trying to get a win to help turn things around and hopefully get the momentum going the other way. That's right. more a conversation. And if that decision is made, it'll, you know, it'll be in 2024. It'll be after the new year, I think. And then we'll have a, you know, a, a longer podcast talking about, okay, here's what you do now that that decision has been made. Exactly. It's, it's just a, when it, when does the organization hit the point RJ where they feel like they have to do something and what is that thing that they have to do? And I talked about this last night and then I promise it's going to get positive here in just a little bit, everybody. Um, and you know, you weren't really around for it, but it's one of those things where when organizations are stuck in that, right, let's say they really do feel the need, like they need to be competitive this year at some point, right? The, the easy move for organizations in this position rj is to make a coaching change because it's just it's the easiest and cleanest thing that you can do you don't have to worry about a big locker room shakeup by trading away a specific player adding somebody new the chemistry being developed right friendships all that kind of stuff needing to happen mid-season in the midst of something tough right when you can just yes it's still a big deal to move a coach but if, especially if you have an internal candidate who would just take over, it's not as large a shakeup kind of thing. So that's the only reason why I think the coaching change is even on the table for the organization, RJ, is just because at some point you hit a point where you have to tell both the team and your fan base that, yes, we are, we are being proactive at some point. Right. When a losing streak gets up into the eight game range and we're looking at potentially nine or 10 or, you know, a franchise long losing streak it doesn't matter what team you are. It doesn't matter what situation you're in levers have to get pulled at a certain point. And everybody knows that. I mean, just because you have a group of fans, that's just like, okay, what are you doing about this? Yeah. Um, and there are a number of different things you can do. Um, but, but as you mentioned, Dylan, I, I think, you know, often, moving on from a coach is probably the, the easiest thing to do. And, and certainly if you're like a GM making that decision as well, you know, having to put yourself then in position to make a trade when you're in a bad negotiating spot, that's yep. going to reflect on you as well. You know, it, there are no really good options, but often, often moving on from the coach can be the easiest, but I do wonder, I mean, that's a, a big question. We kind of asked it last week. Yep. At what point, does the team feel like, okay, we have to do something as far as what they do. We just don't know enough about this organization yet. Cause they've never been in this situation. Exactly. So I, I, I couldn't tell you what they would do when they decided, okay, we need to do something. Yeah. But at what point Dylan, do you think they get to the point where they just, they realize we have to do something. Is it the end of the homestand? I look, I would have said, if you asked me last night, I would have said it was right then and there, right? After that loss to the wild, you're, you're shut out again. Uh, you didn't particularly look very good. That, that to me would have been the time. I mean, we're sitting here, it's nearly one o'clock and nothing has happened. So I'm assuming they're not going to do anything. Although I'm sure the deep dive curse could prove me wrong if it wanted to. Um, I think then it, it goes back to the homestand, right? If you drop the next three games of the homestand and you go, you go from being winless on a four game road trip to then being winless on a six game homestand with a, then a previous loss at home to kick that off. And you're now Oh, for 11, essentially you're on 11 game skid. You just drop six games in front of your home fans. I don't see how any organization in any sport, in any circumstance doesn't do something after that. I'm, Whatever I'm totally it is. You. Yeah. Yes. Whether it's letting the coach go, whether it's a trade, whether it's, you know, emergency call up Shane Wright, play him on the second yep. line and see if that can can give the guys a jolt. It's something, some large change. Yeah, if, if they can't get another a win on this homestand, absolutely. Um, and and I'm with you. I think, you know, after the last game, I really thought we might see something. I got up early this morning to just make sure in case some news dropped in the morning, you know, that we were on top of it. Um, you know, it's it's one of those where I think every day you have to kind of look out for it. But the end of the homestand would certainly kind of punctuate everything. Yeah, I, I think that's really what we're looking at. Now, on the flip side, RJ, Kraken, 
They've got the seven loser points this year. It's helped them tread water because, yes, they are tied uh, with only eight wins with teams such as the Sharks at the bottom of the standing. Uh, right. Or I guess it's just the Sharks at the bottom there, RJ, with the fewest amount of wins. They're tied with Montreal with only five regulation wins, which is certainly not good. Like nobody would say that's a good spot to be in. However, RJ, you look at, say, the wild card race and the Kraken. It's not like they would need a 2019 level blues run to make the playoffs. Like that's what's true. nuts about the situation. Yeah, it's, it's kind of wild to think about it, but you look at it and they're only five points back. I mean, yes, the Coyotes have some games in hand, but you're only five points back of the final wild card spot. And that weirdly is kind of striking distance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's they're, they're really not out of it. And also there's a lot of the season left. I know it feels like and certainly when you're just on an eight game losing streak. And it, that's a tenth of your season that you've just dropped yes. losses, um, you know, but but with the amount of overtime losses like they're what, six games under NHL 500. Yeah. And, you know, we saw the Oilers in kind of a similar hole earlier this season. Already they're back up to NHL 500. They're 12, 12 and one. Um, you know, they've shown that teams can turn it around and and get right back in the playoff hunt. And so I think it's important to separate. And I know people kind of reacted. Some people on the post game when we mentioned this, like, like, what are you guys crazy? Like, this, yeah. you know, look at what's going on. And I think it's important to separate. Um, when you look at the stand, there's two things. One, when you look at the standings and you see the position they're in and looking at, I think, the reality of it and seeing that they're really not out of it. A yeah. team in that position with that amount of points, given what the standings are, that team is not out of it. And they're still very much in a playoff hunt. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of it, which is what reasons has a given team given us to to believe that they can get back into that playoff hunt, that they can turn things around. And so I look at the standings and I see this team isn't out of it. Mm -hmm. They're very much in the playoff race still. But then I look at the other side of it and say, they have given us no reason this season to believe that they can get back into it. None. You have to just rely on hope that they can get back to something resembling what they were last year. Um, and, you know, it's it's not nothing. You know, you look at the roster mm-hmm. on paper. I mean, that's the other part we pointed to all season is, you know, this roster on paper should be a team that can compete for a playoff spot. Yep. And I still believe that. Yep. Um, but we're not seeing any indicators on the ice that that's the case. So I think you can take both of those and realize they can both be true at the same time. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's one of those things. Look, if they win the next three games and they finish out the homestand three and three, Right. But they win the next three games. That's six more points. All of a sudden, you're looking at this Kraken team having 29 points. I guarantee you they'll leapfrog, you know, the wild or flames somewhere in there. Right. Like they, they would they would really move up in the standings. It wouldn't be so bad. I know Nashville. Right. They're first in the wild card spot. They're seven points ahead of the Kraken. But they've only got one game in hand on the Kraken. Right. I know like people look at the Arizona situation. They're like, oh, it's a lot of games in hand. Nashville doesn't really have that many games in hand. Right. They're up there like like there's it's not as bad as it was earlier in the season. A lot of the teams have caught up to the Kraken in games played. Um, So I think that's another thing. I think you mentioning the Oilers is really positive, too, because, yes, they've won seven in a row. Look at look at how they've literally have just skyrocketed up the standings because of it. The Kraken are totally capable of doing that. We know they they are because we watched them do it last year. And so that's why I still have hope. That's why I'm not ready to write them off. That's why I'm not necessarily advocating for some sort of large wholesale change. But as you said, at the same time, you can't you have to win at some point. You have to score goals at some point. You have to look like it's possible at some point. And right now they just don't. And so it's 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 a weird, tough spot to be in. Let me tell you, it's it's very strange. I don't really remember ever seeing a team quite like this, RJ, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, the only t- thing I can think of, the one that, that comes to mind is just like the Oilers earlier this season were watching them. There was just no indication. Well, all you, I mean, all you could point to, well, yeah, is maybe two of the best players in the world. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there's that aspect of it. You could make an argument, I guess, similarly for the Minnesota Wild. And what what is it? I'm, I'm taking on chat right now, RJ. What would be the first thing that people would say in chat about certainly the Oilers and also if you were to include the Wild? They fired their coach. Yeah. They made a coaching change. Yeah. So it's, it's again, it's one of those weird things. I'm not advocating for it, but 
that I do know that that is what a lot of people would say as an argument back to us. Realistically, when you do see teams that historically have been in the bottom of the standings and have turned it around in, you know, in a remarkable way, very few of those teams kept the same coach throughout the whole season. A lot of that has been sparked by coaching changes. And, you know, the famous example, the 2019 St. Louis Blues. Yes. You know, that was a big part of it as well. Yeah. So, uh, look, we are definitely acknowledging it. It is something that is there. I think that is, and I'm sure internally that's got to be kind of an elephant in the room type situation too for the Kraken. Now, on the flip side, I could see just as easily everybody being like, look, the injuries have just been brutal this year. Like I understand that also buying a coach time. And I think that that's fair too. Yeah. And certainly the more they continue to pile up, I, I think the better yes. case any kind of coach has, you know, cause our thinking like a week ago, right. Is, you know, you have Jaden Schwartz out and that is a huge blow to your scoring ability, certainly but at least you have Burakovsky coming back Yep, and, and you'll, you know, you'll never have to go without both of them. And that's going to be huge. Well, guess what? They have to go without both of them for an extended stretch. And predictably, they're not really able to score goals. Yeah. Can you imagine that one, RJ? Power play struggled. Oh, wow. I can't, I can't, I can't believe it. Uh, it's, it's been a tough one there. Now, one of, the, one of the bright spots of the past week has been the call-up and the emergence of Riker Evans. And he's, I mean, he's proven me wrong. I know a lot of people have been calling for Riker Evans to come up. I said I thought he, they should be patient with him. Laid him wait a little longer. Wasn't sure that the defense was totally there yet. And you know what, RJ? It looks like it is. I know he's he's playing pretty conservative right now in his third line role. He's staying home a lot. He's making sure guys just don't get past him, all that kind of stuff. But to be perfectly honest, it's kind of what this Kraken defense needed. They needed somebody to have their head on a swivel, play a little conservative, make sure guys aren't standing uncontested in front of a netminder. And you know what? Riker Evans is doing it. He is. And what's so impressive about it, too, is that it hasn't really held him back a ton offensively. He's still making creative plays when the moment is right. He's still jumping up when he needs to. And he's still influencing the game offensively. And I think that's just the perfect balance for him where he's at right now. And I think as he takes a little bit of time to get more comfortable, then he'll be able to really come out of his shell and we'll see the the special things that he can do. But for the time being, he is certainly not hurting the team in the slightest. And that's something I was worried about when they decided to call him up is that in the last few games to that point, you had had some defensive blunders and guys being in the wrong spots and and giving up some bad goals. And I felt like the Kraken couldn't afford any more of that, but you know what? Riker Evans hasn't been a part of that. I I think he's, you know, done everything you could ask for him to do. And at this point, I hope he never gets sent back down. He looks like he belongs in the NHL. Dave Haxtell has flat out said that he belongs in this league. He's ready for this league. Um, and I think just about anyone who's watched it would agree. I certainly agree with it, which then begs the question, RJ, of how does that affect the rest of the roster, right? Like right now it's easy because Justin Schultz is out with the injury that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Um I still think it probably makes sense for Riker to just kind of take his spot. As difficult as that is to say, I, I'm a big fan of Justin Schultz. I have been going back to how he entered the league and everything, right? Coming out of college and everything. But I I've, I do feel like the team, at least defensively on the back end, has looked better with Riker in for Schultz. Yes, and they've given it a try with a couple different options, right? You had one yep. game where Evans was paired with Dumoulin, Evans being on the right side. Of course, he's left-handed, but he can play on the right side, yeah. uh, probably better than than most defensemen because he has some experience there. And then you had a game where it was Evans on the left side with Justin Schultz on the right. And so you kind of experimented with both of those. And personally, I preferred the game with Dumoulin uh, mm-hmm. of the first two much better. I I thought that was a better fit. Dumoulin, of course, being the veteran stay at home kind of guy can cover for any pinch or mistake or anything that Riker Evans would make. I think that's just a better fit, even though it means Evans playing on the right side. And also you have Evans just be able to quarterback the second power play unit. I do like him there. Definitely. uh, And I want to see him there going forward. So it just makes sense. And, And I mean, you pointed this out before the season started. When I was critical of the Dumoulin signing and you said, well, you know, Dumoulin isn't going to get in Riker's spot. It's going to be Schultz. Like that's the spot yeah. that Riker is meant to take because Schultz's contract is up at the end of the year. And I was skeptical just because I wasn't sure about him playing on the right side, which seemed like what would be necessary. But you were absolutely right on that. 
it, it seems like it's going to be that neat fill in for, for Schultz. It won't be as neat through the rest of this season. Cause you still have Schultz there on the roster. Yeah. And now you have a real position battle on your hands, I think. Um, but after this season, it seems like, boom, he just slots right in there. Yeah. And you know what, to be honest, the more I was thinking about it, a lot of times I go to Firebirds games, Riker's on the right side. Like, I, I do think he is just kind of com- comfortable and confident there anyway. So that, that certainly helps things out. That then brings up the next roster question, RJ, which is, look, Magna is down with the Firebirds right now. It's a conditioning loan, right? I'm correct on that. And they called him back up, actually. Oh, yeah, After they did. The yeah, injury, the they Schultz injury. Yeah, so there's that. But, like, once Schultz is ready to come back, are they going to keep eight defensemen on the roster? Oh, that you know that is kind of dicey actually i mean they, they've always had that extra roster spot they too that they've kept like they've they've been at 21 or 22 for a lot of this season so i think they might try and keep 8d i don't think they'd want to send magna through waivers because i think he'd get claimed absolutely certainly given his super low cap hit like there are a ton of teams that would love an extra defenseman there um at as as uh, cheap of a contract as Magna has is I try and look it up real quick to see if it's below uh, I believe, minimum salary. I believe it is. It's seven six two. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it is because it was signed previously when league minimum was 750. I think it's below league minimum. Yeah. Now what the league minimum is now. So yeah. it's very low a cap hit for a guy who's a serviceable defenseman. I mean, he went mm-hmm. down to Coachella Valley for one game, scored a goal. We know what he can do when he gets into games. Uh, you know, he's a solid defenseman. Um, but yeah, I think for sure he'd get claimed. And I think they're going to try and roll with 8d as long as they want Riker in the lineup yeah uh and uh justin schultz does have a modified no trade clause uh as i happen to be looking at that here too so because you know that would things would get interesting there um and certainly closer to the deadline if you're you know certainly if you're not in the running for a playoff spot i mean that's a name that you probably feel much easier about moving at this point yes agreed agreed so wanted to wanted to get that context in there and then finally last question is given the success Riker is having with the Seattle Kraken RJ what it's done how he's kind of helped stabilize things things for them on the back end a little bit does that make you more open to the idea of maybe a Shane Wright and giving him some playing time I have come around to it a little bit over the last few games. <laughs> and I mean, yes, I, I've, I've bought into what you've said about, you know, him being a good fit, certainly for the way that they're playing right now. Um, but really what makes me consider it more is we talked about different levers that you can pull as a team mm-hmm. when you're struggling. And we talked about Dave Hacks getting rid of him might be the easiest, most convenient one that you can do. Um, but I actually, the more I think about it, I kind of disagree with that as far as being the easiest. I think the easiest, simplest one you could do with the least long-term ramifications is call Shane right up for a, a week yeah. or two weeks and really give him a real run on the roster because I think you can always recover from it if it doesn't work well by just sending him back to Coachella Valley for the rest of the season. Two weeks at the NHL level, I don't think is going to hurt his development a ton. Certainly if you're not, certainly if you're giving him minutes. If you're giving him like, you know, true second line minutes and really seeing what he can do, um, I I don't see how that hurts him in the long run. If it doesn't go well, you send him back to Coachella Valley. He's got like four months in Coachella Valley at that point afterward to just forget about all the stuff that happened in Seattle and this miserable season the Kraken are having, right? You know, it could be a distant memory if you do it right. So uh, that's why I'm okay with it actually is because I think that might really be the easiest lever to pull, even easier than, than changing the coach. I, yeah, I I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I mean, look, he's, he played really well when he was up there earlier. I really liked what he was doing. Obviously he was winning faceoffs, was a pretty successful player. As far as the analytics go, granted he was starting in the offensive zone 80% of the time that will help you, right? Just to be fair and real, that will definitely help yeah. you. Um, but he, he still, he was, he looked pretty good. Uh, he passed the eye test for me. I'm, you know, obviously I've been on board with this for a little while now, so I would definitely consider it if I was the Kraken. Um, all right. Is there anything else, RJ, that you want to talk about here at the end of the podcast? Just to you know, some 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 rally the troops speech you want to get quick give somehow, or or do you think you know? Look, it's just a, a bad rut that they're in, and you think they can just kind of pull out of it this week. Um, I mean, I guess I'll echo what we kind of said last week because I still think it holds true that these games, these next three games, make or break, and you know what? They're at home. 
Yep. And, uh, you know, it gives the fans a chance to show up and, and really show out and support the guys. And I know they could use it. Like, I know they could mm-hmm. use all the positive energy they could get over these next three games, you know, with the home crowd. And, and credit to them. They, like, the, the fans, they've been bringing it. Yep. They have. Even that last game where they're just, it felt like there was nothing to cheer about, nothing to get excited about, nothing to spark the crowd. Uh, you know, they kind of tried coming up with their own stuff. You know, even even smaller saves, they were getting the Joey chant going in the third period, uh, you know, cheering after like, you know, the whole Tanev done thing and, mm-hmm. you know, that that letting that energize them. And they never really got out of the game, uh, which it was really cool to see. So I just hope they kind of keep that going forward. And also I should mention, I, that we can end on this note, uh, the national anthem. Uh, which was yeah. a, a cool story. You know, there was a microphone malfunction. The anthem singer, you know, started singing. You couldn't hear anything. Then they handed her a second microphone and that didn't work, which, you know, gives you the feeling, okay, well, that's how it's been going for them this season, right? Um, but then, you know, the fans stepped up, you know, they played the music and and the fans sang the anthem, which I thought was really cool. And, you know, way to step up everybody and and do that. And so I think that shows, you know, the, the energy that's in the building and, you know, how great the fans have been. So, I don't know. Stay awesome, Kraken fans, yeah. I guess, is, you know, my my words of encouragement there and and really bring everything you got for these next three games. Yep, I, I will ditto all of that. We talked about it on the post game live, right? Other markets, uh, things would have gotten really, really ugly. They haven't here. I think that speaks volumes about the fans that the Seattle Kraken have. And they're just, yeah, everybody's fantastic. Very, very lucky to have all of you just the way we are lucky to have everybody uh, be supportive of us, be members of the ECH community, all that good stuff. I know they're going to show up and support Queen Anne Beer Hall, right? As they oh, open yeah. their second location, I know they're going to show up and come and say hi to us on the 30th when we're there to check things out. And I know they're going to be kind to me as I just devour a bunch of Detroit style pizzas in front of them and they're not going to make me feel too bad about it. They're going to cheer you on, Dylan. I know it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening to the podcast, as always, and we will see you all next time. Hey, everyone. Before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Alvi, Andrew, Anonymous, Beef, Ben, Brad, Brian, Burnt Krem, Kaylin, Shazzle Dazzle, Chip, Chris, Christian, Cody, Connor, Coop, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Evie99, Eli, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Empty Net Hockey, Ethan, Evan, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Habak, Jay, Jane, Jessica, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Julia, Justin, Katie, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Kyle, Leanne, Levin, Light, Lonnie, Maeve, Mark, Max, Maya, Michelle, Michigan Kraken, Nick, Night Drop, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Randall, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, Sia Kraken, Sean, Sean, Sergey, Sergeant Pickles, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team 114 Chris, Ty, Wendy, Where the Slovakians At, Strife, and Zame. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. 